Section 27 of 11 Possible Cases by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. Shall he marry her? By Anna Catherine Green. Chapter 1. When I met Taylor at the club the other night, he looked so cheerful I scarcely knew him. "'What is it?' cried I, advancing with outstretched hand. "'I am going to be married,' was his gay reply. "'This is my last night at the club.' I was glad and showed it. Taylor is a man for whom domestic life is a necessity. He has never been at home with us, though we all liked him, and he, in his way, liked us. "'And who is the fortunate lady?' I inquired, for I had been out of town for some time, and had not as yet been made acquainted with the latest society news. "'My intended bride is Mrs. Walworth, the young widow.' He must have seen a change take place in my expression, for he stopped. "'You know her, of course.' he added after a short study of my face. I had by this time regained my self-possession. Of course, I repeated, and I have always thought her one of the most attractive women in town. Another shake upon it, old man? But my heart was heavy, and my mind perplexed, notwithstanding the forced cordiality of my tones, and I took an early opportunity to withdraw by myself and think over the situation. Mrs. Walworth! She was a pretty woman, and what was more, she was to all appearance a woman whose winning manners bespoke a kindly heart. Just the person, I contemplated, whom I would pick out for the helpmate of my somewhat exacting friend, if— I paused on that if. It was a formidable one, and grew none the smaller or less important under my broodings. Indeed, it seemed to dilate until it assumed gigantic proportions, worrying me and weighing so heavily upon my conscience that I at last rose from the newspaper at which I had been hopelessly staring and looking up Taylor again, asked him how soon he expected to become a Benedict. His answer startled me. In a week, he replied, and if I have not asked you to the ceremony, it is because Helen is not in a position to... I suppose he finished the sentence, but I did not hear him. If the marriage was so near, of course it would be folly on my part to attempt to hinder it. I drew off for the second time. But I could not remain easy. Taylor is a good fellow, and it would be a shame to allow him to marry a woman with whom he could never be happy. He would feel any such disappointment so keenly, so much more keenly than most men. A lack of principle or even a sensibility on her part would make him miserable. Anticipating heaven, it would not take a hell to make him wretched. A purgatory would do it. Was I right, then, in letting him proceed in his intentions regarding Mrs. Woolworth, when she possibly was the woman who, 
I paused and tried to call up her countenance before me. It was a sweet one, and possibly a true one. I might have trusted her for myself, but I do not look for perfection, and Taylor does, and will certainly go to the bad if he is deceived in his expectations. But in a week! It is too late for interference, only it is never too late till the knot is tied. As I thought of this, I decided impulsively, and perhaps, you may say, unwisely, to give him a hint of his danger, and I did it in this wise. Taylor, said I when I had him safely in my own rooms, I'm going to tell you a bit of personal history, curious enough, I think, to interest you even upon the eve of your marriage. I do not know when I shall see you again, and I should like you to know how a lawyer and a man of the world can sometimes be taken in. He nodded, accepting the situation good-humouredly, though I saw by the abstraction with which he gazed into the fire that I should have to be very interesting to lure him from the thoughts that engrossed him. As I meant to be very interesting, this did not greatly concern me. One morning last spring, I began, I received in my morning mail a letter, the delicate penmanship of which at once attracted my attention and awakened my curiosity. Turning to the signature, I read the name of a young lady friend of mine, and, somewhat startled at the thought that this was the first time I had ever seen the handwriting of one I knew so well, I perused the letter with an interest that presently became painful as I realized the tenor of its contents. I will not quote the letter, though I could, but confine myself to saying that after a modest recognition of my friendship for her, quite a fatherly friendship, I assure you, as she's only eighteen and I, as you know, am well on toward fifty, she proceeded to ask in a humble and confiding spirit for the loan, do not start, of fifty dollars. Such a request coming from a young girl, well-connected and with every visible sign of being generously provided for by her father, was certainly startling to an old bachelor of settled ways and strict notions, but remembering her youth and the childish innocence of her manner, I turned over the page and read as her reason for proffering such a request that her heart was set upon aiding a certain poor family that stood in immediate need of food, clothes, and medicines, but that she could not do what she wished because she had already spent all the money allowed her by her father for such purposes, and dared not go to him for more, as she had once before offended him by doing this, and feared if she repeated her fault he would carry out the threat he had then made of stopping her allowance altogether. But the family was a deserving one, and she could not see any member of it starve. So she came to me, of whose goodness she was assured, convinced I would understand her perplexity and excuse her, and so forth and so forth, in language quite childlike and entreating, which, if it did not satisfy my ideas of propriety, at least touched my heart and made any action which I could take in the matter extremely difficult. To refuse her request would be at once to mortify and aggrieve her. 
to accede to it and give her the fifty dollars she asked a sum by the way i could not well spare would be to encourage an action easily pardoned once but which if repeated would lead to unpleasant complications to say the least the third course of informing her father of what she needed i did not even consider for i knew him well enough to be sure that nothing but pain to her would be the result i therefore compromised the affair by enclosing the money in a letter in which i told her that i comprehended her difficulties and sent with pleasure the amount she needed but that as a friend i must add that while in the present instance she had run no risk of being misunderstood or unkindly censured that such a request made to another man and under other circumstances might provoke a surprise capable of leading to the most unpleasant consequences and advised her if she ever again found herself in such a strait to appeal directly to her father or else to deny herself a charity which she was in no position to bestow this letter i undertook to deliver myself for one of the curious points of her communication had been the entreaty that i would not delay the help she needed by trusting the money to any hand but my own but would bring it to a certain hotel downtown and place it at the beginning of the book of isaiah in the large bible i would find lying on a side table in the small parlor of the main one she would seek it there before the morning was over and so without the intervention of a third party acquire the means she desired for helping a poor and deserving family i knew the hotel she mentioned and i remembered the room but i did not remember the bible however it was sure to be in the place she indicated and though i was not in much sympathy with my errand i respected her women carried the letter downtown i had reached main street and was in sight of the hotel designated when suddenly on an opposite corner of the street i saw the young girl herself she looked as fresh as the morning and smiled so gaily i felt somewhat repaid for the annoyance she had caused me and gratified that i could cut matters short by putting the letter directly in her hand i crossed the street to her side as soon as we were face to face i said how fortunate i am to meet you here is the amount you need sealed up in this letter you see i had it all ready the face she lifted to mine wore so blank a look that i paused astonished what do you mean she asked her eyes looking straight into mine with such innocence in their clear blue depths i was at once convinced she knew nothing of the matter with which my thoughts were busy i am very glad to see you but i do not in the least understand what you mean by the amount i need and she glanced at the letter i held out with an air of distrust mingled with curiosity i could not explain myself if she had been made the victim of a conspiracy to procure money from me it would not help to preserve that sweet innocence of hers to know it so with a laugh i put the letter in my pocket saying you cut me short in my efforts to do a charitable action i heard no matter how that you were interested just now in a destitute family and took this way of assisting you in their behalf 
her blue eyes opened wider the poor are always with us she replied but i know of no special family just now that requires any such help as you intimate if i did papa would give me what assistance i needed i was greatly pleased to hear her say this for i am very fond of my young friend but i was deeply indignant also against the unknown person who had taken advantage of my regard for this young girl to force money from me i therefore did not linger at her side but after due apologies hastened immediately here where there is a man employed who to my knowledge had once been a trusted member of the police telling him no more of the story than was necessary to ensure his cooperation in the plan i had formed to discover the author of this fraud i extracted the banknotes from the letter i had written and put in their place stiff pieces of manila paper taking the envelope so filled to the hotel already alluded to i placed it at the opening chapters of isaiah in the bible as described there was no one in either of the rooms when i went in and i encountered only a bellboy as i came out but at the door i ran against a young man whom i strictly forbore to recognize but whom i knew to be my improvised detective coming to take his stand in some place where he could watch the parlor and note who went into it at noon i returned to the hotel passed immediately to the small parlor and looked into the bible the letter was gone coming out of the room i was at once joined by my detective has the letter been taken he eagerly inquired i nodded his brows wrinkled and he looked both troubled and perplexed i don't understand it he remarked i've seen every one who has gone into that room since you left it but i do not know now any more than before who took the letter you see he continued as i looked at him sharply i had to remain out here if i had gone even into the large room the bible would not have been disturbed nor the letter either so in the hope of knowing the rogue at sight i strolled about this hall and kept my eye constantly on that door but he looked embarrassed and stopped you say the letter is gone he suggested after a moment yes i returned he shook his head nobody went into that room or came out of it he went on whom you would have wished me to follow i should have thought myself losing time if i had taken one step after any one of them but who did go into that room i urged impatient at his perplexity only three persons this morning he returned you know them all and he mentioned first mrs Cooldock, taylor who was lending me the superficial attention of a preoccupied man smiled frankly at the utterance of this name of course she had nothing to do with such a debasing piece of business he observed of course not i repeated nor does it seem likely that miss dawes could have been concerned in it either yet my detective told me that she was the next person who went into the parlor i do not know miss dawes so well remarked taylor carelessly but i do said i and i would as soon suspect my sister of a dishonorable act as this noble self-sacrificing woman the third person suggested taylor 
I got up and crossed the floor. When my back was to him, I said quietly, Was Mrs. Walworth? The silence that followed was very painful. I did not dare to break it, and he doubtless found himself unable to do so. It must have been five minutes before either of us spoke. Then he suddenly cried, "'Where is that detective, as you call him? I want to see him.' "'Let me see him for you,' said I. "'I should hardly wish, sadly, discreet as I consider him, to know you had any interest in this affair.' Taylor rose and came to where I stood. "'You believe?' said he, that she, the woman I am about to marry, is the one who wrote you that infamous letter? I faced him quite frankly. I do not feel ready to acknowledge that, I replied. One of those three women took my letter from out the Bible where I placed it. Which of them wrote the lines that provoked it, I do not dare conjecture. You say it was not Mrs. Cooldock. I say it was not Miss Dawes, but— he broke in upon me impetuously. "'Have you the letter?' he asked. I had, and showed it to him. "'It is not Helen's handwriting,' he said. "'Nor is it that of Mrs. Cooldock or Miss Dawes.' He looked at me for a moment in a wild sort of way. "'You think she got someone to write it for her?' he cried. "'Helen? My Helen?' But it is not so. It cannot be so. Why, Huntley, to have sent such a letter as that, over the name of an innocent young girl, who but for the happy chance of your meeting her as you did, might never have had the opportunity of writing herself in your estimation, argues a cold and calculating selfishness closely allied to depravity. And my Helen is an angel. Oh, so I have always thought her. The depth to which his voice sank in the last sentence showed that, for all his seeming confidence, he was not without his doubts. I began to feel very uncomfortable, and not knowing what consolation to offer, I ventured upon the suggestion that he should see Mrs. Walworth, and frankly ask her whether she had been to the hotel on Main Street on such a day, and if so, if she had seen a letter addressed to Miss N., lying on the table of the small parlour. His answer showed how much his confidence in her had been shaken. A woman who, for the sake of paying some unworthy debt, or of gratifying some whim of feminine vanity, could make use of a young girl's signature to obtain money, would not hesitate at any denial. She would not even blanch at my questions. He was right. I must be convinced in some other way, he went on. Mrs. Cooldock or Miss Dawes, do not either of them possess any more truthful or ingenious countenance than she does, and though it seems madness to suspect such women... Wait, I broke in. Let us be sure of all the facts before we go on. You lie down here and close your eyes. Now pull the rug up so. I will have Sudley in and question him. If you do not turn toward the light, he will not know who you are. Taylor followed my suggestion, and in a few moments Sudley stood before me. I opened upon him quite carelessly. 
sadly said i throwing down the newspaper i had been ostensibly reading you remember that little business you did for me in main street last month something i've been reading made me think of it again yes sir have you never had a conviction yourself as to which of the three ladies you saw go into the parlor took the letter i left hid in the bible no sir you see i could not all of them are well known in society here and all of them belong to the most respectable families i wouldn't dare to choose between them sir certainly not i rejoined unless you had some good reason for doing so such as having been able to account for the visits of two of the ladies to the hotel and not of the third they all had good pretexts for being there mrs Cooldock gave her card to the boy before going into the parlor and left as soon as he returned with word that the lady she called to see was not in miss dawes gave no card but asked for a miss terhune i think and did not remain a moment after she was informed that that lady had left the hotel and mrs walworth she came in from the street adjusting her veil and upon looking around for a mirror was directed to the parlor into which she at once stepped she remained there but a moment and when she came out passed directly into the street these words disconcerted me the mirror was just over the table in the small room but i managed to remark nonchalantly could you not tell whether any of these ladies opened the bible not without seeming intrusive i sighed and dismissed the man when he was gone i approached taylor he can give us no assistance i cried my friend was already on his feet looking very miserable i know of but one thing to do he remarked to-morrow i shall call upon mrs Cooldock and miss dawes and entreat them to tell me if for any reason they undertook to deliver a letter mysteriously left in the bible of the blank hotel one day last month they may have been deputed to do so and be quite willing to acknowledge it and mrs walworth will you not ask her the same question he shook his head and turned away very well i said to myself then i will End of section 27